if you imagine a world where you know your car is tokenized and maybe property is tokenized and you can reflect your assets within tokens you could then use that as collateral i think DeFi will go from a probably 150 billion dollar industry today to about a trillion dollar industry by the end of the year anything that is like a fundamental technology or that goes in an infrastructure level people start utilizing it and using it without realizing that they are actually using it Welcome to Startups and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew, your home to learn all things funding, scaling, talent, branding, and the billion-dollar dream. Finding out how to be a unicorn in a field of horses. Hear from industry founders and discover how to stand out to those who matter most to your business. With your host, tech startup fanatic, Belinda Agnew. Welcome to another episode with your girl, B. I am... I have to say one thing before I go into the introduction, I am extremely sorry. It has been a moment. <laughs> I have been Mia for a few months, so I do apologize and I cannot wait to get back into it. I really enjoy doing these recordings for you guys. I really enjoy diving into real topics around technology and startup world. So this is one of my favorite shows I recorded because Web3 is something I've been really wanting to get involved in more this year, more than anything at this point of time. Web3 is something everybody's talking about. Blockchain is changing the world bit by bit. People still don't understand how blockchain is changing, how it's evolving and how it will change technology forever. So I really want to dive in and talk about that. We also talk about topics around what Web3 is, cryptocurrency and NFTs. I am fortunate enough to have two guests on the show today, Prashant Gami and Stephen Moss. Stephen Moss is an expert within the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry and currently leads the team at Bullion FX. And Prashant Gami is leading innovation using technology at Xenabler, which is a successful IT innovation company where he has digitally transformed a number of Australian businesses using innovative technologies. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Prashant. Thank you. I'm super excited to have you to talk everything blockchain. Let's jump into the question of what is blockchain? Because people are talking about crypto a lot, blockchain, but people don't really understand what blockchain is. So what's your interpretation of blockchain? So blockchain is basically the underneath technology that like, you know, fuels crypto, NFT, anything you talk about. And what that literally means is an immutable uh, ledger. So it's basically like a database that you cannot go and delete stuff once it is written. And that's important in like, think about any audit processes or anything where the ledger is written. Mm -hmm. It is permanent, like you can't go and rewrite it, which you can do in traditional database. So anywhere where you want to keep the records like, you know, safe and uh, confident and you want to make sure that the records are not deleted or altered. Um, authenticity is always preserved. That's where blockchain can play part. Yeah, because I feel like everybody thinks blockchain is a new hype and it's a new internet. It's a new thing everybody needs to get in involved in, right? So do you believe that 
10 to 20 years from now, businesses will need to start integrating blockchain? In a way, like every business uses ledger, like any business that deals with money or like, you know, transaction has to have a ledger that says, okay, this is what happened. This is what was bought. This is what was sold. This is what the contract was. And they do that in a traditional way with either money or anything because we trust in government or any institution that provides that, the fiat. Yeah. Uh, with crypto, you are taking that responsibility of like trust from the government or the third party institution and putting it on the technology. So you are basically having money that says, okay, by technological means, it is authentic. If you had like a token and that money came from, you can trace it back all the way. So in regards to going back to the blockchain element, Mm -hmm. do you feel or do you think it can actually change the structure of society? Not just as as a business, but as a whole. It can in a very large extent, because if you see any, any transaction around the world, it is based on trust. And right now, if you want to go and do business with someone who is in a foreign country, you don't have a trust with them. In a traditional world, what you do is you go via agent network, via uh, established organization, banks or anything. If you want to do transaction, if you want to establish business over there or deal with any person that you don't trust in like, you know, directly, you go via a trusted network of middlemen. Blockchain literally eliminates that uh, need of middlemen because your transactions are always going to be secured and uh, confirmed by the technology. So uh, think about like artists, NFTs are big these days and uh, it is all driven by the uh, promoters and the distributors, largely in a traditional world. But if when you put a blockchain in there, you now have a guarantee that the artists can directly connect with the audience. And not only that, they are guaranteed to receive their share of the like um, equity or like you know a royalty when the when someone buys that art so mm-hmm. it, it is changing that fundamental nature of how we do the business with untrusted parties i feel like most people don't understand how much it will change the society like it this this is going to change everything in so many ways and i feel like people don't truly get it yet it is early days for the technology. I was about to say, how yeah. far do you think we are from now to to people actually understanding how blockchain will change? Like everything? when it comes to common people, it's like your normal technology. Think about like, um, do you know about transformer or ball bearing? Probably most people don't, but they use it in every single thing that they use. And, and anything that is like a fundamental technology or that goes in an infrastructure level, is like that, that people start utilizing it and using it without realizing that they are actually using it. Uh, and, and blockchain is similar to that. It's going to go and change and impact a lot of the uh, areas. When it comes to normal public, yes, they might not directly understand that they are using it. Like if you have a bank and in today's world, like if you if you apply for a bank, all the mortgages and processes go on a, on a traditional way of verification and everything. Now, imagine that network goes in blockchain. That way, like, you know, that, uh, that infrastructure will always be audited and like, you know, up to date based on the standard has a transparent history and everything. So if you go and buy, uh, take a mortgage, then you are using blockchain. 
you might not realize it, but you will be using blockchain. So it will be like, you know, in every aspect of what you do. So strange because when you hear the term blockchain, everybody freaks out. They're like, what is blockchain? What are you talking about? Like, what is crypto? So going back to the blockchain um, space of crypto, Web3, what is block? Because I feel that most people think blockchain is a part of Web3, which it kind of is in a way, but what's the difference between blockchain, Web3, you know, these terms like NFTs, crypto, Coinbase, what is all of that? How does this make sense? Make sense to people in simple terms. So think about your accounting book. Yes. You, you write your accounting entry in a book and that's a, that's literally what a blockchain can mean. It's a database where you make entries. That's as simple as that. But now with those entries, what those entries are about, what do you do with those entries, how those entries are used. Uh, so NFT is for artists uh, where they are writing about like, okay, this is the art that was created, is uh, created by this person, distributed by this person, uh, bought by this person, resold and so on. So the entries are regarding the transaction that goes on top of that artwork that is unique. and anyone can see that it is authentic because it has an authentic entry of identity with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you take that same aspect and go into web that right now what is happening is if you go and use internet, your identity and everything, you don't have control over your data or what you are browsing or you can't really see like, you know, how Google is using your data or how other Facebook or anyone is using your data and making ads on top of that. Although you know that they are using, you don't have control or the transparency around that. So now take that aspect of blockchain providing transparency and put it in the web world and all the web structure and everything, when that becomes transparent, that's your web three. So web three solutions are literally modern web applications. They're not directly related to blockchain, but blockchain is impacting how the transparency is delivered. So that's why they go hand in hand. Uh, same with money, like when you make money transparent and the transaction transparent, it becomes crypto. So it's basically all intertangled uh, because they are using one another as a, as a mechanism. Uh, but the common thread that br brings all of them in one table is transparency, I guess. And let's go into talk about Xnabler because I feel like it's such um, it's such an amazing agency that you've built in such a short period of time. And I really want to touch on the offshore talent is so underrated and I feel like a lot of companies are not looking there for many reasons. You've seen such a shortage in talent right now. We're fighting for people. People are, True. you know, resigning to get more money. Yes. People are getting paid 30 to 40% on top of what they're actually worth. Um, so what do you, where do you see this going in the shortage or where do you see companies moving into do you think they will open up offshore they have to like there is no option um like covid came and we all had to work remotely and everybody was resisting it for so long and now they are taking that okay yeah this this works and not only it works if you see the states the by working from home the productivity is actually increased by 20 to 30 percent in most of the cases so 
you can imagine that there are only probably 10% or 15% of jobs that cannot be remote. Most of the work that people do can be done remotely and COVID has proven that. Now, when it comes to offshoring, it's no different. Like people are resisting because they have that traditional, uh, we are humans and we have that feeling of touch and see. So we, we like, you know, resort to that, but if when it comes to like, you know, uh, getting work done and everything, if your employees and your staff and your team is remote, we have seen in last three years that work can be done and it can be done as efficiently as otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. If that is the case, then why does it make difference where the, that person is sitting? Uh, the other idea of like how you are saying, like, you know, people are resisting onshore and offshore kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I can see that like shift already happening like in us mostly like you know people are uh, more di- directly hiring in remote countries like india and philippines and uh, all that mm-hmm. and and it is working like literally it has changed the landscape and not just like hiring talent directly but from the talent's perspective as well i am seeing a lot of people like working as consultants only not really going for full-time work they're like okay and uh, when we go in interview process in india people are like oh if it is not work from home i don't want to even do the interview so it's just a matter of time that companies say yes it's okay the work gets done and can you talk about how Xnabler is doing that right now and talk about who is Xnabler first what do you guys do um, and how are you changing that for future companies yeah, in technology so- we like I uh, come from a very strong development background, so I always we can't tell. Sorry, I said we can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust me, like I started mobile development when they initially came out in two thousand eight, yeah. and since then I have built like number of uh, mobile apps in Australia, many large companies, and then through X Enabler as well, we started transforming. So the element that X Enabler focuses on is a task-based engagement, outcome-based engagement compared to time-based engagement. That's the fundamental like differences in a traditional outsourcing or uh, uh, a technology provider and X enabler. So what happens is that a lot of the time you hire a developer for, for a time being for a month or something and you pay the retainer. And that means whatever you do with it, you have a sort of like, you know, perceived control over the outcome. But what you miss out is that by doing that, you are just relying on your own strength and own knowledge mm-hmm. to deliver the outcome. Whereas what happens in a in a typical world is that companies like Xenabler, we have probably not as much knowledge in, in a particular business, but for, when it comes to technology, we have like, you know, very strong understanding of how blockchain works, how AI works, how it can actually add to user experience, how it can change and improve the product, the technology itself. And if you are in a particular business, if you are looking at only one business segment, you cannot get that because you need a broader perspective to do that. And Xenabler is enabling that. So when you enable a company like Xenabler, what happens is they bring all these different perspective of how technology can change the experience and they can add to your business segment that can like deliver outcomes that are much more than just having someone who can code. So it, it's a it's an innovation aspect rather than just the uh, hiring a coder. So Stephen, to you, 
Do you think blockchain will compete against banks or do you think it will complement them? I think that um, I think that it will complement them. I think what's happening on a on a macro level right now that's really important to pay attention to is the devo- development of central bank digital currencies. And this has been a buzzword on our industry's tongue for some time. And more recently, it's been a buzzword on government's tongue. And entities like the Reserve Bank of Australia have admitted they're interested in that, but they've also admitted they don't understand enough about that. You've had countries like Russia, Japan, uh, all announce strategies for central bank digital currencies. So I think there's no argument, even with the non-believers of blockchain, that this is going to happen. Um, I think, though, on a macro level, what it really means is that you probably don't need to go to Westpac or a bank to access money because traditionally the banks have only been set up to borrow from the central bank and deal with customers. Mm -hmm. And that's always been the inherent model that the banking system is run on. And people can look at this right now and say, well, central bank digital currencies sound really cool. That's really cool. But I think what it really means is that the banks themselves are going to have to build decentralized financial products to offer that. Because if you do a car loan or a mortgage, and that involves a decentralized digital currency, we need a protocol on that network to manage it. So I think what it means is that the banks probably have to build products in the DeFi space to really take advantage of that. They need to go down that path. And I think that'll be a really interesting challenge for them because I don't think they're focused on that space right now. And I think that uh, they would really struggle to have the level of innovation and speed of innovation that a lot of companies like Boolean FX or others tend to have. And so I see probably a large, um, a large level of acquisition, acquisition of talent in that space among the banks. I think the banks will just adjust to it. I think it will be a means that the banks offer financial products on. And that includes yield products. And it also includes debt products. And I think it's sad that that's taking so long because the banks aren't really losing out on the lag here. It's the people. And in blockchain, we always talk about, you know, decentralization and and bringing more autonomy back to the people. Um, The people are losing out because you've got record low interest rates in debt markets and all-time high interest rates in blockchain markets. And it would be so easy for the bank to parcel that all together. You know, so if you were going to get a mortgage and, you know, mortgage is 3%, for example, the bank's only got the ability to pull a product off the traditional banking shelf, parcel that with your mortgage. So if you're trying to buy an apartment, you've got some spare cash, all the bank can offer you is an offset account to offset your mortgage. The bank can't offer you debt on one side and then a high interest offset from the blockchain world on the other side to create almost a 0% net position. Um, But I think that those possibilities start to become apparent when you delve into DeFi and decentralized financial markets. I think the banks will have to grow on them. I don't see it as a competitor at all. I see it as more of an internet. Um, You know, the banks ultimately had to grow on the internet and be part of that and, and really attack the market that way. So on that question, do you believe that we're ready for this new era of technology? I think to the both of you, Prashant and, and Stephen, I'd like to know, do you think we're ready for this? Well, 
Are you ever ready for anything? I mean, what I mean by that is, is consumers ready to take on this new era of technology. I think people for, don't even know what blockchain is. I think for consumers it's just a learning curve. You know, and and it, it starts with Bitcoin. We'll adapt, you think? I think so. I Quick. think we have to. I Quickly think, or, or I think so. I mean we've seen with COVID, you know, the last two years, we've basically adapted. I think our economy, we're always going to a work from home economy. Let's use Zoom more often and and let's let's go down that path. But I think COVID was really a catalyst for the change. And I think what we're seeing now, this this level of financial, I'll call it financial unrest in the world, a lot of people are disappointed with the banks. In fact, the banks have a huge dissatisfaction rate. And in fact, on that, there are only two industries in the world which actually have a dissatisfaction rate of 90% where people keep coming back. And one of them's the dieting industry and the other one's the banking industry. And so there's a huge level of dissatisfaction. We've seen the weaponization of money more recently. We saw protesters in Canada that their bank accounts taken away from them because they were protesting. We saw Russians and, you know, some innocent Russians as well had bank accounts frozen. We saw people in Ukraine had bank accounts frozen. But the bottom line here is it's a weaponization of, of money. And I think that does cause some unrest as well. So I think all of this is a catalyst for this just happening. And, you know, separate to that, there are also systems in place which is making this easier for people. And on that, what is weaponization of money for people that are listening that don't know? So the weaponization of money is basically using money for the benefit of government or enforcement as opposed to using it for the benefit of the holders of that money. Because we all think of, you know, money is a, it's basically a currency. We, we earn it and we spend it. Um, stopping somebody's ability to spend it for a completely irrelevant factor, like because they're involved in a protest, is weaponizing money. It's free. It's using the central attributes of the banking system to freeze money to punish them for something that's completely not monetary related at all. Mm. Okay. And what do you think, Prashant? I mean, do you think we're ready? We will never be like like uh, Stephen said, right? Uh, we are never ready for anything. Uh, if we if people are given choice, they will never change anything. But change do come and they overtake. So, but by the time it comes to people, it is actually like you know package in a way that people can actually take it. So, you know, they don't need to understand blockchain to use it. It's the same with data and everything. We are using uh, our Google searches, our, you know, Facebook and everything that is based on data, but nobody understands how the data really works underneath. So for people to start using it, they do not need to understand. They just need to have uh, an application based on that that is useful to them. And that's all it is needed for them to start adopting that. Mm -hmm. And um, Stephen raised the point of like, you know, DeFi products in banking. That's a classic example that if you have products that you can use, then if it is uh, defined by blockchain, I don't think people will care or need to understand that. And and on the technology aspect, we're talking about culture and team and how, you know, offshore talent is so underrated. A lot of people are still looking onshore when there's, it's dried up. There's not really many people right now and everything uh, that's available, everybody's asking for 30 to 40% more than what they're actually worth. So what does your technology team look like at Bullion FX? 
right now? Do you have a mixture? Is it hybrid or? Yeah, very much so. Um, most of our technology team are offshore um, because what we're doing. Whereabouts offshore? Is so London. Okay. So our head tech guy is based in London and then also Pakistan. We have an office and we have an office in Dubai and also Brisbane. Nice. So, yeah, mostly offshore actually. Um, and the Brisbane office in Australia actually only grew because of COVID so by accident because we couldn't really leave the country. Um, uh, so that's where our technology uh, our team is based. Um, I found that, you know, this industry, it's very rare to find the right people to actually build this stuff. And so I think when you find the right person, you just kind of go for it. The, the, yeah, borders don't really matter. Agree. Yeah. Why do you think that a lot of companies are so, I mean, not so, holding back on offshore talent? Do you think it's just something, a habit? They're used to having people here physically? Yeah. Look, it was a very big concern for us. We, we actually only got comfortable enough with it when we uh, had someone more senior join our team who was overseas who could meet them. But, you know, it's really hard to put your IP and your know-how uh, in a box with people you've never met before, especially when you're dealing with shareholders and advisors and listed companies and all that kind of stuff. Mm, cool, yeah. So offshore talent is super underrated. I always talk about it with Prashant. Um, and going back to innovation, because I really want to get into that and dive into you know, Australia especially, I feel a lot of companies are slowly looking at innovation more, but it's a real, you know, long burn. So what are the major resistance that you find in Australia, particularly within innovation? Like how do you think, pe- why do you think people are resisting to it? Innovation. Government. Government and Prashant, what do you, how do you feel? I I think both government specifically, because uh, I don't see the ecosystem of innovation here. Like it's never talked about in government policy or benefits or uh, like, you know, how to attract talent or anything. The more we see is actually resistive policy rather than the supportive policy from the government. Like uh, if you have operations overseas, you can't access R&D grant or most of the grant that government gives. Uh, that's that's it in, in, in itself is a resistance to that. Um, also, the ecosystem itself, I think because we are a small country, life is relatively easy for us here in Australia. So we're a little bit laid back and saying, all right, we'll get there when it happens uh, rather than creating it. Uh, and and that that whole like, you know, easy going uh, business, like businesses here, and you can relate to that, you know, like, you know, if you do in other country, it's very competitive. But the reward is big as well, obviously, because the population is big, uh, but it is very competitive. Like you can't just do nine to five and like, you know, switch off your phone over weekend if you are in US or any other country, uh, if you are running a business. And that's why I think that that brings into that our culture of getting laid back on innovation as well. Because uh, a lot of the time you s- see this buzzword and they're like, hey, we will get there when we need to, not when we want to. What do you think? Um, um, I'll, I'll just give you a real example because this is not a problem unique to blockchain. We saw this in FinTech. The government is just too slow to respond in this country. 
I'll give you a real example. Bullion FX could have been an Australian company, but we started in Dubai with a team in Dubai and we got a license out of the DMCC and we then went to the Cayman Islands because the Cayman Islands was housing some of the most reputable blockchain companies and they had a virtual asset license. And that's what we needed. We needed a license to do what we were doing. And I had some very high-level discussions in Australia. In fact, I was chairing the Markets Committee for Blockchain Australia at the time we founded, and I was directly talking to the Senate. And the feedback from the Senate was largely agreement, you know, as, as, as all rosy and that's great and, and everyone's motivated. But it was going to take them five years to do a draft paper on an initial deregulation in the agricultural industry. And it's just not quick enough. It's insane. And, you know, everyone can sit around the table and smile and say, oh, great, we've got an initiative. Oh, let's publish that in the AFR. Look, here's 10 points the government's going to fix. But this is the reality. We're losing companies every day overseas to Dubai, to Cayman Islands, to anywhere else in the world that has set up these zones. And you go over there and it's amazing. You've got companies everywhere. You've got investors everywhere. You've got funds everywhere. You've got strategic partners everywhere. Why wouldn't you be there? So what is it costing blockchain companies to stay in Australia and go down this waiting path? And will this waiting path be any different to fintech? Because we all know we missed the fintech wave. Like nobody can look back at Australia and think, oh, we really took advantage of that fintech wave in Australia. Let's pat ourselves on the back, which is insane because, you know, we're in the middle of Asia. We're surrounded by Southeast Asia, China, Japan, India. There's huge innovation coming out of there. They should all be looking for a home. We should have a free trade zone. We should have a licensing scheme and we should stop the talk about it and just do it. I think the political system here has a lot of great intent, but I just don't think it can deliver this stuff. And I think there are other issues. I think we've got to set it who probably can't get their mind around the technical side of this industry. We've got policymakers who I don't think, I think are excited about the concept of blockchain but I don't think understand it. And I think, you know, you've got a lot of good talent in Australia, which are more than happy to help the government get there. I think Blockchain Australia is doing a great job. If it wasn't for them, I don't know where we'd be. Um, but I just think, you know, Blockchain Australia need a little bit more support uh, and and we just, we need some real actions. I think we almost need a an exclusion zone or some sort of licensing regime here because bottom line is we are going to continue to lose talent. It's not an attractive place to have a blockchain business. R&D grant's great, but that's a Band-Aid solution. as a financial solution as well. And, you know, you'll realise sooner or later that the really impressive blockchain companies aren't probably aren't looking for an R&D grant. They're probably just looking to be in the best place in the world. So on that, Bullion FX, who is Bullion FX? What can you give me an introduction of you guys. What are you guys working on at the moment? Anything cool coming? Really cool. Um, we're building a, a decentralized financial system. Um, I would use the word decentralized bank, but we're not a bank. And I'm not, I think the word bank is probably going to get a bit old pretty quickly. I think people hate the banks. Um, and, you know, if you look at that evolution, you, you really see, look, digital banking changed the user experience, but didn't actually change the system. And what we've got now is we've got an opportunity to, you know, combine lowest rates in the world traditionally with highest rates in the world. So Bullion FX is building a bridge between those two. 
So where we we're building a sort of exchange component yields DeFi and synthetics and and blockchaining assets and all that. The unique part about us is we use gold as a backbone. And that doesn't mean people have to use gold as a backbone, but it's for the first time ever giving users the ability to actually hold their wealth in something real. You know, if you put your money in a bank, the bank's only required to hold a tiny percent, like a single digit percentage of it in cash. If you put your money in crypto exchange, well, you just got to, I guess, grab onto something and hope that they don't yield it <laughs> or spend it because there's really no regulations there. Um, so in this time of financial uncertainty, we, we do think it's important to allow people to bring their money back to a gold base. And what we're doing, which is very unique, is that gold pipeline, we call it liquid. We're about to announce it at paper on liquid. But if you think about the backbone of the industry now, it's Tether, it's USD. And that is just so ironic to me because we're saying, oh, let's build the future of DeFi and yields and let's do car loans on the blockchain in 10 years. But let's use USDT or Tether as the main trading pair. So let's build the future of finance that's completely inherent on the system we're trying to destroy. And to me, that's just out of this world ironic. And so we build things like Bitcoin over gold, Ethereum over gold. We have X over G, which is the ability to build any crypto over gold. So people can actually trade the cryptos in gold. Then as yield, DeFi and other protocols develop, the ability to bring it back to gold. So suddenly you can transfer wealth from one side, the industry to the other side without having to go through fiat. So that's what we're doing that's quite unique. And at the top of that tree, I guess, or at the top of that pipeline, we've got a gold token. Um, which is very, very, very different to everything in the industry and that it's actually audited properly. And this is another problem in the industry, by the way. If you if you uh, build something, you can't go to a big four firm and get an institutional grade audit to the degree an ETF would do. And so we've solved that problem. We spent a lot of time working with BDO and BDO blockchain and solved that. But at the top of that tree, we've got, yeah, the absolute ability for that gold to be traded in and out of fiat at spot price, et cetera. Um, but that's what we're building. And, and you know, I hope that uh, as we build assets in the space, I think you could entirely see ASXG, NASDAQ G, and basically a bunch of synthetics or, or tokens representing assets that trade in our ecosystem. Um, so that's what that's what that we're trying cool. to build. And and lastly, just with the the blockchain uh, stuff. We spoke earlier about interpretations on what blockchain was. Most people don't understand blockchain. And when you speak about it, they don't even get the term. So what is your interpretation on blockchain if you were to speak to a five-year-old? Um, I would just say simply, and, and you know, this is an art because a lot of people are interested in this space but don't really understand don't get blockchain. It. Um, look, blockchain is just like a spider web. If I was with that five-year-old today and I sent him a, a dollar, I would just explain instead of going through one approval process or one person that approves it, imagine a spider web. There are a thousand people in that web and they all see it pass through and they all approve it at the same time. And that's really simply what blockchain is. It's just the decentralization of, of systems. That's a whether it's money or whether it's medical or whether it's logistics or whatever it may be. So which companies do you think are doing some interesting things in blockchain, particularly in Australia? I think um, I think DeFi is going to be a big space this year. I think a lot of 
businesses globally are doing amazing things in DeFi. And I think that will just be accelerated. What is DeFi? Decentralized finance. So, you know, traditionally, if you want a short-term loan, you know, you might go to a bank and spend a week filling out paperwork and then, you know, mess around for a while. With DeFi, you could go and use some collateral being crypto and just borrow that money, you know, post it and borrow the money instantly. Now, that may sound like you require crypto, but if you imagine a world where, you know, your car is tokenized and maybe property is tokenized and you can reflect your assets within tokens, you could then use that as collateral to borrow loans. So DeFi makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think DeFi will go from a probably $150 billion industry today to about a trillion dollar industry by the end of the year. I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening there. Um, I think a lot of the applications on the safety side of blockchain, food safety, health, medical records, they're great. Um, although may not be as commercially exciting as DeFi. Um, but I guess in regards to Australia, there's really nothing that I see in Australia that is super impressive if you're well-traveled in the blockchain space. It's Australia is not and has not been a source of great um, intellect or is never really impressed on a world stage. Uh, Australia does not have a name for being a leader in blockchain communities or really bringing out any sort of significant innovation in the blockchain world. We do have a very good reputation of innovating in the tech space. Um, and I'd like to see blockchain catch up to that. But my opinion now is, is nothing I've seen here is super impressive. Nothing here is beyond basic. Um, uh, and I think that's also a function of policy and licensing and being able to build stuff here because I will say this, I have met some very impressive Australians overseas in this space. Full-time overseas, yeah. Yeah. And what are your thoughts? Do you know anything? I think uh, what just Stephen uh, said made sense because in, in blockchain, what I'm seeing most of things is they're at the technical level. They're not really at the application level. Like uh, if you think about Ethereum and all that, they're layer one uh, blockchain, layer two is getting built and Web3 is only talked about nothing is real right now. So I, when you go to the application layer, probably we are still a year or I would in Australia, I would probably say five years away before we see the application side of that happening and people actually getting benefited from that. And and policy, like um, I, I can't agree more, like, you know, policies have to either fuel it or they can keep blocking like they are doing. Yeah. Interesting. And just to finish off the show, is there anything that you both want to leave with to end it that you think companies or people should know about? So our audience are more entrepreneurs, business owners. Is there anything that you want to add to finish it off? It could be even something about Boolean FX or Xenabler. I, w- I want people to know that the application for NFTs is not art. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I, true. <laughs> let me so just true. elaborate yeah. on this. Like, so NFT is a non-fungible token, which allows you to carry data in it to, I guess, in simple terms, better specify the asset and details of the asset. So if you think about, okay, where's that useful? My mind goes towards tokenized property mortgages, tokenized car loans. So if you imagine a DeFi world where you might be taking someone's car as security and giving them a 
token or financing that in DeFi, you probably say that the lender would want that token to have details of your car, and details of the loan and details of who made it. And they'd probably also want it to be non-fungible. So that is the application for NFTs, like full stop. And I'll, I'll argue about that all day. Do you have an NFT? No, no. And I wouldn't buy one. Um, but somewhere along the line, I think some kid thought, oh, hey, let's attach a, a meme to this. And then, and this just shows you the mentality of investment in this space. It's very much a follower type vibe, right? And you don't skims, I don't know why <laughs> it's still going. Like I know guys that have bought pictures of rocks and socks for 50 grand and sold them for 150 grand. And I just think they're crazy. Um, but I think that's, it's not a good look for the industry. Now, I understand the application of NFT and art and music and all that. I completely understand that. But I'm just not saying that is not the end of NFTs. It's not the wow factor of NFTs. And it's quite frustrating that people are running around marketing NFTs as that. You know, you could argue if the blockchain, see if Bitcoin was originally launched to decentralize health records or food safety or to have much better reputation. People might have loved it, may have even grown into money. I think NFTs have got off on the wrong foot and I think that's a space to watch. There's two sides to it though. If most people invest into NFTs to flip and then some invest into NFTs based on the project. Yeah, but they're buying a picture of a sparkly cat because they think that some idiot's going to I mean, if you look at it that way, yeah, it sounds pretty dumb. Yeah, it sounds that. pretty dumb. But it, the market is showing that NFT is is becoming a thing like whether you know i don't agree you don't agree or you know this, this is the a market highly, shows. this is a highly uneducated market well this is what i'm okay. saying most of the market yeah it's following if you get in a room uh the trend like at bdo if you get in one of bdo's annual meetings of blockchain and and you ask the audience put your hand up if you own an nft or block of bitcoin a lot of people, maybe half will put their hand up. You say, leave your hand up if you understand it. And not too many people leave it up. This is a market of followers. Yeah, this is it's a, a trend. Market. It's a hype. Yeah, that's it. There's just no, like the vegan diet. Just, just like crypto kitties and were. And everything else, Just yeah. like crypto kitties were. Uh, just like Tamagotchis were. Um, it's, it's the yo-yo. It's, a hype. it's the yo-yo yeah. of 2021. And what do you think? What do you want to leave based not on NFT maybe, yeah. but anything I mean, you want to leave the audience with? Probably on the similar point, like blockchain in general as well, like the real applications hasn't come yet. Like it will come in a few years time. Uh, like for example, NFTs, people are like now talking about uh, connecting your NFTs to like organs, you know, the um, artificial organs. So if you had a knee replaced you want to know that this was the original piece and how it came and where it was used and everything. So if you tomorrow you have a damage on that, you can see that, okay, this was like, you know, warranty and everything and like, you know, any insurance claim against that. So the real application of NFTs are still being thought about. They're not there yet. And and it's it's basically, it's important to change that conversation of 
NFTs attaching to memes and JPEG to real things that where the value really makes sense. So is our advice today to people listening not to buy a fucking NFT? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say that because I, uh, to be honest, I'm not a financial guy. I wouldn't claim to be. But what I'm saying is that when people say the blockchain is the future, they're not talking about crypto and NFT. They're talking about real blockchain applications in DeFi, real applications of NFT in real world where it actually adds value. Genuinity, transparency, trust, that's what it brings. And that's what people should be linking blockchain and NFTs to, not just the hype of like, you know, CryptoKitties or NFT like JPEG memes. JPEGs. (laughs) I own a JPEG. (laughs) Thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show. Thanks for listening to Startups and Unicorns with Belinda Agnew. If you haven't already, be sure to follow the show. X-Enabler is your one-stop tech innovation partner, creating unmatched digital solutions and turning tech visions into a reality. For more information, visit xenabler.digital. Get in touch with Belinda by following at Belinda Agnew Official. 